Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Lancet UN AIDS Commission. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, June the 25th. No one can be in any doubt that there has been enormous progress and huge advances in the global efforts to control HIV AIDS over the past few years. Progress that would have seemed almost unimaginable 10 or 20 years ago. But real challenges still remain, which are clearly articulated in the Lancet UNAIDS Commission. And I had great pleasure a few days ago to speak to the main author of the commission, Professor Peter Piot, who is director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in London. As compared to even 10 years ago, there's been extraordinary progress in terms of uh, its control, and that's the best measured by the fact that fewer people are dying from HIV and fewer people are becoming infected. However, the, the AIDS is not over. The reality is also that, according to UNAIDS, there were over 2 million new infections per year uh, last year, and, uh, and 1.5 million people died from, from AIDS. So it's not over. We still have a, a long way to go. And um, Despite these enormous gains made in recent years, there are still uh, really big issues. Yes, as part of that, you you do say in in the Commission that actually you're already detecting there is complacency in some areas where there has previously been good progress. That's quite an alarming statement. Yes, despite all this progress, there are uh, alarming signs. First of all, there are a number of populations where we see continuing high infection rates. And I'm particularly concerned about young women in southern Africa, where when you take uh, young women in KwaZulu-Natal, for example, in South Africa, between 3 and 9 percent every year uh, become infected with with HIV, despite uh, major efforts uh, in terms of prevention and treatment. Closer to home for me here in London, every single day, about five gay men are infected with HIV, and these are um, identified through diagnosis, and and, uh, and that's a, uh, a pattern that we're seeing in populations of homosexual men throughout the Western world, but also increasingly in uh, in Asia and in in Africa. Although there is harder to get information, and then in a country like Uganda, which was the first one to in Africa to be very successful in, in bringing down the number of new infections. Today, there are nearly as many new infections as at the peak of the epidemic, partly because of um, enormous population growth in Uganda, but also because of a neglect of uh, prevention and of a, a real increase in new infections. And then on the um, more political side, I would say AIDS is often no longer on the agenda. Uh, funding is stagnating, and um, we also have continuing you know, issues around discrimination and laws that ban, for example, homosexuality, or in Russia, where you still cannot go for so-called harm reduction among injecting drug users, in other words, provide opium substitutes like methadone or needle exchange. Another key thing the the Commission's calling for is a scaling up, particularly in the areas of HIV prevention. You've already mentioned some of those areas, injecting drug users, sex workers as well. They're a a critical population, aren't they? Yes, well, not everybody is at the same risk for HIV uh, in, in a population. We've known that for a long time, and it's been crucial for both rights issues. We have to go there where the people are um, affected the most, but also in terms of being uh, effective in, in um, you know, controlling this epidemic and spending the money there where it makes the most difference. We need to pay far more attention and concentrate more resources there where the risk for infection is the highest. And that 
varies from society to society. I mentioned in London, it's gay men. In Southern Africa, it's a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, young women, adolescent girls, but then also the men who infect them. Across the world, I would say it's populations of homosexual men, of uh, injecting drug users, sex workers, in not everywhere, because not so much in Europe, but in many other parts of the world. So we need to um, really focus our resources far more there. That is not easy politically, because one, uh, some of these uh, populations or behaviors are illegal in many countries, and that can go up to the death penalty in, for homosexuality, for example. And uh, secondly, it's, it's not politically very popular. And what we have to do is not just provide treatment in these groups, but also adapted, uh, tailor-made prevention. So in other words, a combination of prevention efforts that can make the best impact in these populations. I'm interested by what the Commission says about this integrated, broader way of looking ahead at how we need to deliver, or rather how the delivery of better HIV services can also impact on global health more broadly. There are several aspects of the relationship between dealing with AIDS and then uh, improving health uh, worldwide. First, we need to go for some smart integration. And by that, I mean synergies, and that's the efficiency of, um, for example, providing uh, chronic care for people uh, living with HIV, receiving lifelong antiretroviral therapy, and that can benefit approaches for other chronic diseases, which are hugely neglected from hypertension to diabetes, TB treatment. So that should not be dealt with in a, totally separately from uh, regular health services. Same thing, for example, for prevention of mother-to-child transmission, which should be fully integrated into antenatal mother and child health uh, services. Uh, so these are uh, some examples where we can have not only efficiency gains, but where the approach of AIDS, like, which is far more patient-centered, people-centered, involving communities, going in the community, that could, uh, I think, also benefit people with uh, other chronic conditions. On the other hand, I would say integrating everything into everything would be very counterproductive when it comes to HIV control, because those who are at highest risk, as we mentioned before, are often not welcome in regular health services. In not many countries are gay men or men of sex with men are welcome in a health service or sex workers or not to even mention drug users. So if we would say integrate everything in the regular health system, I think we would go for uh, an absolute catastrophe in terms of you know, HIV prevention among those uh, who are um, needed the most and are the most at risk. So it's a, that's why we call it smart integration. That's complex, what you've just described. I mean, that changing attitudes to getting away from stigma, discrimination, those sort of um, behavioral, attitudinal changes, cultural changes that need to take place in different settings. That's something that can't be done quickly, is it? No, it can't. And also, I think what we've learned is that a purely medical approach doesn't work. Every intervention, everything we do in uh, HIV has a behavioral and structural component. And that goes from lifelong therapy. I mean, that's, um, that requires enormous discipline that it organizes. That means also organizing supply chain management. That, organize, that means also um, making sure there is no discrimination, no stigma for those who need that treatment to go and to have access to health services. So that's uh, one aspect. And then um, when it comes to prevention, it's even more complex that um, 
the right of populations to have access to prevention services is simply not there in many societies. So dealing with human rights, with countering stigma, discrimination, legal blockages, is not a luxury. It's not, it is absolutely essential um, element of the AIDS response. And there are good data from countries where, for example, homosexuality is illegal that we see in general higher HIV infection rates um, that's been like found in some parts of Africa, some parts of the Caribbean, and that where there is a pure police approach to drug abuse and drug addiction that um, is also uh, stands in the way of uh, effective HIV programs. So what puzzles me is that we have leaders, political leaders and others, religious and all that, who seem to prefer that, that Millions of people die um, from HIV, but uh, because they they're not willing to have a, a humane approach to them and to um, you know those who are at most risk. So we we need to, really that needs to change as much as we also need to expand prevention and treatment programs. Absolutely. Um, can you just briefly mention the the modelling studies that you present in the commission? You present four scenarios, don't you? Don't go into great detail here, but just just explain what what you are looking at achieving here and, and what the different scenarios are. They're looking ahead, obviously, to the next few years. What we try to do in this work of this commission is to explore what can we expect in terms of outcomes, in terms of a number of people dying from AIDS, number of new infections, and uh, according to different efforts financial efforts and uh, programmatic efforts. The two extreme scenarios we took, one was, let's say, business as usual, that um, continuing the current effort, which is already very significant on the one hand, and then the, um, the most ambitious scenario is the one that UNAIDS is promoting, and that should lead to the end of AIDS as a public health threat by 2030. And um, what we're seeing is that with the current uh, effort, because of population growth, and because of continuing increase in new infections, we would see by 2020 an increase in new infections and an increase in, in deaths, which is really very, very sobering. On the other hand, um, the most ambitious uh, goals that were set and, uh, uh, in terms of resources and um, coverage of interventions still would not lead to the end of AIDS. We have to be realistic also for that. There, will, there would still be, according to our modeling, hundreds of thousands of people who would die, depending on which part of the world you are, and uh, hundreds of thousands of new infections. So we should be in there for a long, long run. But one of the most important findings, and that's a very sobering, is that the bill of this, the cost of um, the uh, continuing what we're doing is already very high. At present, the already high level of efforts cost about 19 billion US dollars annually, and uh, it would take um, about the double of that, 36 billion annually, to um, achieve the uh, UN goal to end AIDS as a public health threat. Now, is that affordable? And the answer is a mixed bag. It would require extraordinary efforts by uh, many countries. Looking ahead, that, that is just one of the key things, isn't it? Because the history of this epidemic has seen remarkable success in, in terms of mobilizing the activism, the, the, all, all the different parts of the HIV community, the funding, the publicity campaigns, the celebrities that have got on board, the money that has been raised. But ultimately, that model can't, can't be the future 
funding strategy can it for HIV AIDS because ultimately countries particularly emerging economies maybe not the very poorest countries it's up to individual national governments isn't it to come up with 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 the money to manage HIV in their countries yeah it's clear that we need a shift in the funding model uh, at the moment the international community as it says that mostly wealthier countries have accounted for a major part of um, AIDS efforts in many countries uh, including in some countries that can afford to pay. And so one of the studies that we report on in our commission is what's the ability to pay by uh, several countries. And the answer is that in uh, most middle-income countries, certainly in Asia, Latin America, that the governments, local governments, can entirely pay for it. The problem there is that at the moment, the interventions and programs with um, high-risk populations are mostly paid for by the international community. And so that's more of a policy and political issue. But the money should, in general, I think, move to those countries who have the least ability to pay. When we look at uh, some of the most affected um, African countries, they will uh, require large proportions of their GDP or total government expenditure in health, um, and that would be uh, something up to 2% of uh, GDP, and in some cases like 67% of uh, total government expenditure, which is not realistic, and that therefore there is a continuing need for but let's call it with the old-fashioned word, international solidarity. And uh, that will mean that, um, for example, the replenishment of the global fund to fight HTB malaria next year will be absolutely key because that's a major funder together with the U.S. Uh, PEPFAR program. Concluding thoughts, there's so much in the Commission and we urge everyone listening to this podcast to read the Commission. There is so much information in there. But concluding thoughts... I mean, we're very much at a crossroads, that's what you say, isn't it? Particularly the next five years to 2020, let alone 2030. Are you optimistic that globally we can have a good path forward? Well, the hallmark of the AIDS movement has been that it uh, never took no for an answer and uh, was ambitious and uh, up to now has always succeeded in overcoming obstacles that seem to be insurmountable. But we need to be realistic. First of all, uh, we need to uh, really counter this complacency and this uh, message that um, AIDS is over or that the end of AIDS is in sight. It's simply not true. Secondly, findings from our report show that the next five years can make a whole difference because it's basically we're that the following choice that we have to make. Either we uh, increase our investments and our efforts on AIDS the next five years, and then the bill for AIDS, the toll in human lives, but also the costs, will slowly go down and will be, at some point, be more successful in terms of bringing down AIDS as a, uh, a public health threat. Although the end of AIDS per se, I don't believe will be possible without an effective uh, vaccine. We also need, and that's another major recommendation of the Commission, we need to put far more emphasis on prevention. Attention for preventing new infections through behavior change, condom promotion, pre-exposure prophylaxis, male circumcision, structural interventions around like violence against women has really decreased enormously at the expense of an expansion of treatment, which of course is necessary, but there's no way that we will treat ourselves out of this uh, epidemic. And then finally, we need to make sure that we continue to 
remove all obstacles that are not only violent violations of human rights, but are also obstacles for better prevention services, better treatment access. That's a great summary. Professor Peter Piot, many thanks for your time. You're a very busy man and good luck. Good luck to everyone involved in, in the path forward concerning HIV AIDS. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. Many thanks again to Peter Piot and to you all for listening. See you next time.